get warmed exactly. up. Exactly. We'll get warmed up. Let's get, well, boys. Let's get warmed back. up, baby. Yeah, dude. We're back uh, from a one-week hiatus. Um, what a week to come back, man. Um, how you boys doing, Smitty? Are you on the... Uh, I can't remember. Are you staying on the Kansas side or the Missouri side during this? I'm on the Kansas side. I'm on. Uh, I'm in Prairie Village, uh, just shit. like right. I'm from. Yeah, yeah. No, I see, like I see you guys on the on the um, Snap Map or whatever Snapchat map. But I'm like, do you guys are you guys are like I drive. My cousin lives over in Brookside, and I, I'll, uh, I'll I'll you know head over and visit him and. Um, and I see that you guys are pretty close. So, yeah, I'm just like right by Shawnee Mission East High School, like a like about a block or two away from there. Damn, we got a we got so, an answer on the block. You don't know what Shawnee Mission East is? It's a high school. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? Come on, bro. I never lived over here before. <laughs> um, Sawyer's over. Sawyer's learning the land. So it's an exclusively Kansas resident or Kansas. Pres- we're presently in Kansas, everybody on the pod right now. That's pretty crazy. Um, it is. I, uh, Tommy, every time I leave the house, I have to Google Maps wherever the fuck I'm going if it's not like off the main highway or something. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> Isn't it so weird? Because if I moved up north, I would have to, I would have to map everything out. Like I still get lost yeah. going up to like Joe's like place or like driving out to Louis. Like I still get fucking lost. Um, not, not like I've been out there. And it's the same city. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, and dude, if you if you had to give me directions on like how to navigate 435, I'd still get lost. Like, it, mm-hmm. I, I'm not great with with highway think, exits or any shit like that either. I think I know about that all the time because we're we just live in Kansas City and it's not. I mean, relative to like other cities in our country, it's not that big. But here, here I. I'm on the other side of it, and I don't know where anything is. That's always yeah. a, that thought blows my mind. Thinking like Houston or like Chicago or any of those. Well, it's better than living in Chicago when everyone who says they live in Chicago like doesn't actually live in Chicago. They live in like a suburb like 40 <laughs> miles south of Chicago. They live in like Oak Lawn or like <laughs> Oak Grove or one of the Oaks or Glen Elan or all those crazy places. And so you're like, oh, so you don't – it'd be like living in Warrensburg but saying you're from Kansas City. Like that's the same thing. It's way yeah. or kind of like or Lawrence as well. Yeah. yeah. I will say like with me, you know, I'm from North Kansas City up north and, um, you know, I've lived up there outside of growing up. Um, I lived in Parkville for for about a little bit over a year and a half, two years. And then um, my dad got this house shortly after I went up to, to college. So I'm I've gotten pretty familiar with the Kansas Kansas City area. I think for me, it's the farther south, like. I'm pretty familiar with anything from where we're at, like where we're at, we're close to 75th street, um, all the way down to like about 119th. Once I get to like 135th, like South Kansas city, that's where I get a little, little dicey, but like, I, I, I feel pretty comfortable like getting around here and like Brookside Plaza and then getting all the way up North. But I will say like when I went to college and I, I, I rarely came home, I, I went to college and I stayed up there. And, and when I came back, I mm-hmm. even being up North, it, it took me a minute to kind of get my bearings and figure out where I was again. Yeah, dude. I'll, well, be, my, I'll be 75. Uh, to figure this that, out. Yeah, no shit. That reminds me when I went to Mizzou my first year. So I was there for like three years. My first year, I wasn't allowed to have my car. And then the other two years, I lived on campus. 
So I literally like don't know the town. Like I don't know how to get around in Columbia off of like street names or anything. It's all like we went back for a bachelor party and everyone's like, you don't know where such and such street is? And I was like, no. So I must be either mentally retarded or like geo- <laughs> geographically retarded. Uh, also, I just thought of something, Mike. <laughs> Big week. Your girl, or should I say our girl, is in town right now. You know who I'm thinking of? Me? Who? KSU Amanda, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out KSU Amanda, if she listens. Oh, shit. She's in town? I didn't even realize that. Yeah, you did. She posted something on Twitter, bro. I saw you even comment on it. No, I think that was... I thought that was... um... (laughs) I thought thought, uh, that was a wedding invite. For a future oh. date. Oh, I just I just took it as her being in town for a wedding. Let me let me just go figure out real quick. Yeah, she has some hot takes <laughs> sometimes. Because uh, I, I see her tweets because I don't follow her on my account, but I'll see her on the timeline Same. on the on the podcast account. Man, girls got some got some like flaming takes. Like not that I agree with them, but she goes pretty hard in the paint sometimes. Oh yeah, a few months. My oh, yeah. fault. She's, she's uh yeah, she's a firecracker. That's for sure. Yeah, dog. Be spicy. You sure you can handle that? No, she's too much woman for for one man to handle. I've conceded <laughs> on that. She she is uh, miles out of my league, you know. But hey, I, I still shoot sixty feet behind the three point line. Dude, don't sell yourself short, Smitty. You're you're you uh. You're like Steph Curry. You just fire in those shots up from 35 feet, hoping it goes in. But you know, you know, 43% of the time it's going in. That's not a bad. Uh, that's my motto. I live. My motto is 27 no's and one yes is still yes. Exactly. So. Exactly. All right. Well, we can tiptoe around uh, what the fuck is going on in uh, the world right now, as much as we want. But the reality is, it feels like. Uh, the whole world is on fire. <laughs> like, can you, I can't remember a time <laughs> in our entire lives that like so much like internal, like the country, like, so we always talk about the country being like so divided, but I cannot remember a time. It, it's definitely my adult life, but let alone in my entire life where things seem to be like as tense and on the brink of like sheer, just full chaos as they are right now. Um, I took a little drive down to, to see kind of the plaza today um, over lunch. And man, it is, it is something. And that's even after they cleaned up everything, like there's graffiti all down main street, like windows broken out, um, trash and like debris everywhere. I mean, it looks like shit you see on TV in like another country. Um, and obviously like tensions are high and I think people have a, have a reason to be angry, but it's a, it's a, it's a surreal time to be alive. I just got to say that off the top. Yeah, man, I've seen just even hopping on social media, like Facebook, for instance, I've seen more people posting and getting into discussion on there than I think I ever had before, like meaningful discussion. Which is a positive yeah. sign, but it's just it is wild right now. Um, yeah, I mean when, it's positive when it when it is constructive, but man, 
for every one constructive conversation you see, there's a thousand of those just like yeah. bitch fights. I mean, I think like twi- like Twitter has just become like a war zone in and of itself. And I think Smitty said it best earlier this week. He had a tweet where he's like, man, I'm going to have to jump off this for a minute because like for every like one little grain of like, you know, mm-hmm. humor or joy that Twitter can bring you, there's just like millions of just like, just all this negativity. It's, it's a wild, wild thing. And I usually go to Twitter for like jokes or sports news. And maybe that makes me privileged. That I don't have to go in there for like social activism, but man, it is, it is, there's a, there's a storm that's been brewing for a while and, and maybe we're just now kind of seeing, you know, how much hurt like there is that people are experiencing, but I mean, that maybe yeah, makes that's, me it, ignorant for not knowing like how much was kind of going on underneath the surface. Well, in, you know, and the, yeah, t- going back to that tweet, you know, the, the, I don't, I'm hardly on Facebook anymore. And the reason why I left Facebook was it was during the, um, during the previous election between Hillary Clinton and, and Trump. And, you know, I've, I've been pretty vocal. I'm not a very political guy. Um, you know, my philosophy is, you know, I, I think politics are, are great, but when it becomes, um, force fed down my throat, then it's, it's just annoying. You know, I, I respect Republicans and Democrats the same way, but, um, you know, it wasn't specifically Republicans and it wasn't specifically Democrats, but it was just all the, like you said, it, social media used to be when, when, when social media was first coming up, at least kind of a place to escape, you know, get away from all this, you know, uh, any, any bad stuff that's happening in the world. And that's why I left Facebook and it's kind of getting that way right now on Twitter where, you know, like I said, you know, for every 10 posts you see, um, there's there's nine negative and one positive and that's right there at the basis of like kind of what's wrong with the world you know people would rather focus on the negative stuff than than try to spread positive stuff um you know i get that the world is kind of going to shit right now um but you know and and obviously these conversations need to be had because tommy kind of like what you're saying i I think we're kind of at, I think, you know, a real possibility could be, you know, we could see riots and, and protests last for several months. Um, I think what's kind of adding a little fuel to the fire is that you've got people that have been cooped up in their houses, you know, they're, they're almost getting my cat fever, you know, so, um, you know, and we can dive a little deeper into more of like the racial stuff, because I think we do need to have those conversations. But, um, you know, something that I don't think a lot of people are, are talking about is, we're still in the middle of a pandemic right now. Um, you've got all, you know, mass gatherings really shouldn't be happening. Now I understand that protests need to happen in there and, you know, I fully support protests and the peaceful side of things. Um, but the mass gatherings worry me about like, could we see, you know, a huge bump in coronavirus cases? Cause I'm, you know, I've got the news on right now. And I mean, I, I've seen people in New York that are walking around without masks, you know, and that's, that was basically almost like ground zero. So I wonder how much, um, you know, outside of the, the racial stuff that these protests could really affect um, the coronavirus, you know? Yeah. It's, it's definitely a time where <clears throat> I think everyone's kind of looking for, for, I guess, hope in the midst of all of this, like, what do we have? Because, you know, that's one of the great things, you know, this, this podcast is centered mainly around the intention of it was to center around sports, 
started in the midst of a pandemic when there was no sports. Um, <laughs> you're the right on things to talk about. Yeah, but like sports and but sports and culture because like that that was like the original intent was sports and culture because that's what we like that's what we shoot the shit about every day. Um, and right now we're I mean it seems like a culture battle for America's soul like on a day to day basis and I think everyone's just looking for something hopeful to look to and like. We talked about how, you know, it sounds so silly, but like the last dance was kind of one of those things that like gave us something like exciting and like gave us hope for like, all right, this, this will be like the documentary that gets me through this week or gets me through this next month or whatever. But I think as Americans, there's not a lot that we can look to from our leadership on either sides of the aisle, at least on a national level where we can look to somebody and say that we have like full confidence in, in somebody leading us out of this. You know, I, I'm, I've actually been very proud of our mayor of Quentin Lucas during all mm-hmm. this. I think he's been really, he's been saying the right things and doing the right things. And um, especially in, in a city that's as culturally diverse and also very segregated as Kansas city is. Uh, I think that's a dark part of Kansas city that a lot of people don't want to talk about is that we are a very segregated city um Mm -hmm. i think he's the right guy right now to deal with that kind of thing he's young he's vocal and he he's present and um so like locally i feel like kansas city is going to be okay but you know countrywide people may not have that local leadership that can put them in the right direction and that's kind of what concerns me is that uh, i've always thought, thought of our city as kind of like an outlier um it's not like any other major city in the United States, mainly because we aren't technically a major city. We're a bit, we're a small market. Um, but I think our city is really unique in, you know, the way we're made up and the culture here. Um, I don't know really where I'm going with that, but I think as a city, we're going to be okay, but I'm worried about like kind of the bigger picture, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about that on my ride home from work today, Tommy, and, Mainly about how, like, could you imagine being uh, Mayor Lucas right now? You come into office and you've got coronavirus and then you've got, uh, you know, all this issue with the police force and and race. Uh, And he had a really good point. He said, don't let um, people distort your intentions of the protests. Right. Because there's stuff like, like we all, we've all, everyone has seen the Antifa stuff and the looters and some of the police who've, who've taken the situation to their own hands uh, post post murder of, of Floyd. Um, and so it brought me to like thinking about what you were actually just touched on. was like, what is the culture of the younger generations in our country? Cause like when you think back to the, when you think back to the history of generations in our country, you can kind of form an identity of who they are based on uh, the events that took place. For example, uh, the baby boomers and World War II um, in this identity of, you know, I'm going to get up and I'm going to, you know, grab life by the horns and, and make my decisions and make take from life what I want out of it. And so I feel like, especially without sports, I think sports are a huge part of our culture and a lot of people identify via sports and we don't have that right now, which I think is w- working perfectly in terms of bringing light and focus to the issue at hand right now which is police brutality and then further along like the systematic oppression of minorities in our country um 
And so my point is, I I feel like there's generations, even our generation in our in our country, you know, what depend on upon like social socioeconomic status. What is your identity as a U.S. citizen? And I'm not sure I know what my identity is as a U.S. citizen because I've I've never had to work hard for freedom or for anything I want in life. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I mean, anything I want, we can work and go get it. But there's people in this country who who don't have that freedom. And there's a lot of, you know, first-generation immigrants in our country who don't feel the same way. And I yeah. think it's inter- interesting. I try and view it upon that lens and, like, I don't, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to like summarize how I'm feeling, but yeah. Well, I I, I think to your point, uh, you know, because we're all we're all three white guys, um, you know, I think part of the thing that that needs to happen, at least for you know, for white Americans, is that we do need to understand the um, what white privilege is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I I think when I was younger. And more naive, you know, I hated the word white privilege because I'm like, well, I still had to go to school. I still had to get a job and stuff. But there, I think the older I've gotten, the wiser that I've got is that white privilege is is privileges that you don't necessarily see, you know, that you don't necessarily that are not apparent to you. Um, you know, such as, you know, I, like I said, I live in Prairie Village. I can go out walking around and I just see it's obviously a predominantly white neighborhood. I'd see kids walking by themselves, running around. Do you think that these white kids or do you think black kids that live in the ghetto or live in a in a rougher neighborhood have that same privilege of being able to go out and walk around and not have to worry about either the police or any gang violence you know, stuff like that. So, you know, the more that I've realized what white privilege truly means, I think it's helped me at least understand more of what, you know, minorities face. Um, I say understand, I will never understand, but at least appreciate um, a little bit more of Mm -hmm. the fight and struggle that minorities do have to go through. And I think that's kind of what's nice about um, America, because honestly, like you're talking about like your American identity, Right now, like I'm really not proud to be an American, and I, you know, I think it, it's just disgusting to almost call myself an American right now, just because of what this country has. Now, obviously, I love my country, and and I'm never going to leave it. But you know, obviously, change needs to happen. But I think what's nice is that we talk about sports and stuff, um, and talk about the Jordan documentaries. Well, the Jordan documentary really, I think, helped elevate Black culture. Um, you know, mm-hmm. what they talk a little bit about, you know about it in, in the documentary, but I think it kind of put, um, the African-American culture on the map, uh, not just throughout the United States, but globally. Um, and I think that, you know, luckily I think our generation, even the generation just slightly before us and in younger generations are appreciating black culture more and more. I think my nephews, um, understand and appreciate, uh, minority culture more than even I do. And I, you know, I consider myself appreciating it more than my dad and, and whatnot. But, you know, luckily for me, I'm in a weird situation is that my dad taught in Kansas city, Kansas, um, for 30 years. He taught in Wyandotte. He taught in Quindaro. He taught at Quindaro elementary. So when I would go to his work at school, me and him would be the only two white people in the classroom. And, you know, something that, that really stuck with me through all this, that, um, I thought was funny, you know, at the time, and, and it truly shows that like people really, when you're at that young age, you really, it is, 
it is racism is taught like you really don't see color is you know me and my dad are standing in a, in a, in a classroom full full of black kids and it was almost like clockwork every class one kid would be like mr smith is that your son well yeah duh. he's the only other white kid i'm the white only my dad's the white teacher and i'm the only other white person but you know you see what i'm trying to say like they they obviously knew but they didn't you know see it as that you know and yeah yeah i just think you know i think luckily i think that the change is on the horizon and i think it is going to progressively get better but i think it needs to happen sooner if that makes sense yeah i think so what we have to realize i think what a lot of people have to realize is you hear people who are you know maybe not as progressive from a racial standpoint as we'd like to think we are in this country say well like well yes you you have freedoms and all these things but you have to remember like we are only a few generations removed from like the civil rights movement. We're only, we're not even a century removed from, you know, we're not even our parents' generation. I mean, there were still segregated, you know, bathrooms and seating areas and buses and all these things. Like we're, that is within the last century. So we are not as far removed. And people want to say, Oh, well, slavery ended, you know, back in the 1800s. But the culture that preceded it didn't go away overnight and it still hasn't gone away yet. And I think part of people like to think that, Oh, because we embrace embrace certain aspects of black culture or, or other cultures, you know, other minority cultures in the United States that we somehow have made progress. But I think the part that we like to do, I think especially people of that are privileged white people, especially like to co-opt the parts of that culture that they like, like basketball and style and music and everything, but don't want to also at the same time address the oppression and the suffering and the inequality that's occurred for, for centuries in this country. And I think once more people understand that this isn't just something that bubbled over, you know, in an instant, it's something, or just erupted in an instant. It's something that's been bubbling over for decades and centuries. And if you think of every major moment in the United States, you know, over the past 50 years, like every cultural moment or every, you know, think of all like the Rodney King riots or the OJ Simpson trial, or, I mean, even, even as sad as it is, 9-11, all these things have this racial tinge that comes with it when it's fear, when it becomes fear of the other or, or, you know, pointing fingers at at a, at a, at a, at a person being responsible or part of something just because of the way they look or the way they dress. Like I think once as a culture, we, we learn to embrace people's differences, not just at the things that we can appreciate and co-op for ourselves, but also understand the struggle that they came from. I think that's when real progress happens because like we are, you know, only 60 years removed from the assassination of less than 60 years removed from the assassination of Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement. We're not that far away from it. And people like to think, Oh, we've made so much progress in this country. America is not a racist country, but by our very founding and the way this country is developed, we are. And once we mm-hmm. accept that and acknowledge it and rather than, you know, try rather than say, Oh, look at these people looting and, and rioting. That's, that's a small minority of people that are involved in these protests. It's just like exactly. saying, Oh, 
it would be just like saying all cops just murder black people. That mm-hmm. would, it, they don't. Very few of them do. So you can't just. So when we look at things so binary, so binary, and so, you know, segregated for lack of a better term, then we never come to a full understanding of of what the issues are and how we can best solve them. And people like to say, oh, we elected a black president in 2008. It's not a racist country. That that doesn't change anything. I mean, you can't just look at one thing and say, oh, because of this, we, we don't have problems. Because of this, look at black unemployment. It's the lowest it's ever been. There's no way this can be a racist country. That, that You can't – It's not. that's not the way it works. It's You have to find a yeah. way to touch the minds and hearts and souls of Americans and, it, and it'll find a way to impact change for the better, not just in this in instant, but for generations to come. Otherwise, this is going right. to keep on happening sooner than later. This is going to keep on happening every couple of years. There's going to be another Tamir Rice. There's going to be another George Floyd. There's going to be another Eric Garner. There's going to be, a, you know, uh, it, it, the list goes on and on. I mean, it's sad that... that off the top without even looking, I can rattle off three names easily of unarmed black men, Tamir Rice, who was a child that had been killed by police. And it's it, until we develop this culture of understanding, we're not going to get anywhere. You know, uh, not to be a, a cynic, but so when I went to Mizzou, it was the first time I ever really felt like I was around racism. Um, and a lot of that, not to not to generalize, you know, populaces, but a lot of that was from rural Americans, and a lot of it was from. I think in cities we are, um, we see a lot less of. I think so. Living in, in like a metro population, you have a tendency to see less of this type of occurrence in our country, and I think in rural areas, it's more culturally like um, acceptable, honestly. Yeah. And um, I think that is – and that's the type of thing that takes generations in education and years to overcome. And, I mean, I'm I'm not sure we're ever going to live in a country where that is um, – you know, where we, where we want it to be fully, to be honest. Um, I think there's – especially in the southern United States, I think it's just ingrained culturally and it's really disappointing – but yeah, I don't, you know what I'm saying? It's it's one of those well, things that. That's why is, it happened no, I, in, in Minneapolis and like Smitty, you, you know better than us because you lived it. You live there. But like you. It's sad to say, but you wouldn't be surprised to hear about this happening in Georgia, for mm-hmm. example, like Ahmad Arbery. Like that's the sad thing. Like you wouldn't be surprised to hear about it happening in Florida or or. Uh, or Georgia or Arkansas or, or, mm-hmm. you know, Louisiana, which it's a tragedy regardless of where it happens, but it's almost more shocking that it happens in some place like Minneapolis, where you would, you would, you, you know, there's a high population of Hmong people in, in, in Minneapolis. It is a diverse, um, there's a lot of African refugees that live there. It is a very diverse city. So when you see it happen somewhere that you wouldn't typically see it happen, it makes it a little bit more shocking, a little bit more jarring especially when you see three other people, three other officers that are standing around watching it happen and not doing, not intervening Uh. at all. Yeah. And I I think to your point to this, I think you hit it right on the head. It was when I, when I moved up to to Minneapolis, 
you know, I think it was almost like a little bit of a, a culture shock to me just because, yes, it is a it is a more populated area, but the diversity up there was was way more extreme. And I thought I felt personally that Minneapolis and, and Minnesota was more of a, a liberal um, state than than being from Missouri, you know. And, um, yeah, like you said, I, I, I am kind of surprised to see it happen there. Um, but. Yeah, you know, it's it's crazy to see all my friends' you know Instagram stories and, and Snapchat stories of you know uh, uh, buildings up in fire and stuff. You know, like we'd mentioned earlier. Luckily, you know, in Kansas City, I think that um, you know we are a relatively peaceful um, city. You know, I think you know, like I said, Mayor Quentin Lucas, I think has been great, um, just helping um, diversify. Kansas City, you know, um, but yeah, it was it was very interesting to you know see everything go up in flames and and see it on like where where George Floyd died. I I drove over that's not very far. That's just south of the stadium, um, you know. So it, it is interesting, you know. I I kind of have to you know count my blessings, you know, that I'm not up there right now during all this stuff, you know. Um, luckily for me, you know, where I live in Minneapolis, it's it's kind of on the northwest side of a uh, suburb of. Um, of Minneapolis, everything that's kind of going on is more on the Southern side, but, um, yeah, it is. It's just, it's shocking when something really hits a lot closer to home, you know, for me at least. Yeah. Uh, you know what I think would, would, would go miles in terms of this conversation in terms of fixing, helping to fix this is just what people are protesting for is just justice, dude. Like if a, Man, I think I am a firm believer. I'm I have zero experience in working in law enforcement, but I'm a firm believer um, that our officers need to be retrained. That they need to learn to instead of be aggressive and try and control situations, to try and to try and de-escalate situations. Like and, and just justice again. So like, there's never going to be a perfect way to to police citizens. Um, like, there's always going to be mistakes. There's always going to be bad arrests. But just justice for what's happening um for like if it just like shows american people that the system can be on their side if there is justice if someone's cops shouldn't be paid after they murder someone after they kill someone or i mean depending on the situation and and you know what i'm saying so i don't know like it's just it's so frustrating to see this happen over and over again and and this police officer is just you know switched to a different department or on paid leave we just want like some sort of retribution against the officer, and I think that will go leave some bounds to people entrusting one another and trusting their police. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, and so that's it's really really frustrating. No, I, police officers have this perceived elevated status where it's almost like carte blanche, where you know they they you would expect that they should be held accountable for their actions just as any yeah, it's citizen It's so would. simple. It's so literally if, so simple. If you or I were videotaped kneeling on a guy's neck for nine minutes and murdering him, because I'm not going to call it anything else, because it, it, it is murder. Yeah, it's what murder. What that guy did. And, not, and, yeah. and I don't even think it's third-degree murder. I think it's first-degree. You know you're depriving this guy of oxygen. You know that he can't breathe. It, 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 it baffles the mind that prosecutors can't can't file more significant charges against him because what he he wasn't protecting he wasn't defending the peace he wasn't but all all signs show that it was a relatively 
minor incident that he wasn't resisting arrest. And like exactly what you said, the police need to be retrained to de-escalate, <clears throat> not just to de-escalate, but to not escalate a rather benign or insignificant situation into a scenario where someone loses their life. And yeah, so part of it is racial inequality, but also, yeah, part of it is institutional institutional racism, institutional lack of institutional control on police officers in every state and every municipality polices differently, but there needs to be some uniformity in the standards of how, you know, Mm -hmm. react to things. And I don't think a a clear picture could be painted in the way that police have reacted to the peaceful protesters and the way that armed protesters were treated when they were uh, protesting the stay at home orders a month ago where they showed up the Michigan state Capitol with guns outside of the governor's office. Not a single person was maced or tasered or arrested. They were all allowed to do that peacefully. And you know, most of those people, if not all of them were white, white male citizens who were allowed to do that. So you don't see any consistency in protocol. You see a peaceful protest being escalated into a violent protest Whereas you see what is clearly a protest aimed at intimidation where people are armed to the teeth, mm. treated like it is a peaceful protest. So there's this huge disconnect. And not, the three of us, we don't have the we, – we can't solve the world's problems. We don't have all the answers. But I would like to think that between the three of us, we're pretty level-headed, like even-keeled, like pretty open-minded people. And it, that's what's sad is that it seems – that there's less of that out there now. And that's, and that's not the case. The, the truth is there are more people that think the way we do than, than don't, but the, but the hateful vitriolic voices are the ones that get magnified the most, you know, the rioters that co-opt these peaceful protests, they're the ones who get highlighted, not the thousands of other people who are peaceful. Yeah. Protesting. The five, and that's, that's institutionalized people. by our media. It's yeah. ugh, it's so it's frustrating. All, we're living in this whole. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the media. It's the government. It's yeah. It's so many different things. And like, sort of like what you said earlier is it's the sad truth. Is like, will we we probably in our lifetimes will never live in a country where those problems are solved. Like we're in our mid, late twenties, early thirties. Like, we, we've lived a, a good portion of our our life already, and it nothing seems to have changed dramatically since we were kids and i don't think i think it's gotten worse yeah to be honest i think it's just you know i don't i just think it's been the technology has allowed it to be more visible to people i don't think it's ever been yeah i don't think it's worse now i just think it's more visible um yeah it's it's really really disheartening um when for example like i saw something on the protest in kansas city where it said the I think it was KNBC show. It said like the caption was police and protesters hugging, but in reality it was uh, a police officer was taking off his mask um, to like fix whatever he was doing. And then they went behind a group of protesters and tear gassed them to split them up and, and to get them to disperse, which it's so frustrating that like the media is trying to portray it this way using whatever their agenda is in reality. It's over here in a separate section. It's just, it bugs the shit out of me, and it's uh, it's it's also institutionalized, and and it's so dynamic. It's hard to see any sort of fix because it's 
it's years and decades of this crap happening and yeah. it's if you try and fix one thing after another well they all get convoluted how do you how do you fix how the media portrays it how do you fix how cops are being trained one thing that i think everyone should try and listen to is malcolm gladwell in talking with strangers has a bit about um, police and how for example this woman was in her car she's a white woman and a police officer came up and started asking her a bunch of questions. She got pulled over on the freeway, and she lit a cigarette. And um, Gladwell goes into, like, how the officer asked her to please not blow the smoke in her face. And that, like, made her more nervous. And she was lighting a cigarette because the, the nicotine helped her with the nerves of the situation. So, like, just the lack of understanding of body language and, like, why people do certain actions in those situations. It ended up with the cop, like, they argued, and he ended up, like, pulling her out of the car or tackling her and handcuffing her and this like situations like that where it's just so little knowledge on the police officer's part to that actual situation and how the mm-hmm. defendant is feeling um yeah. it's just oh, I blood, think, I'm on. One, yeah, and i don't want to think that's you know like go ahead to me oh you're, you're fine one thing you know like we we kind of all hit on is that you know um you know more than likely we're, we're not going to live in a world where all this is rooted out. But I think, you know, one of the two top two things that can easily help is like I said, you know, understanding, um, you know, and supporting minorities mm-hmm. as a white person. Um, and then, but two, and I think more importantly is, is a, is a reform of, um, of police. You know, I think we've kind of touched on it already, but, um, you know, there needs to be some kind of bill passed of, of holding, um, police, more accountable. And I think that at the end of the day, that's really what, um, you know, black people and minorities want is, is for people is for these police officers to be held accountable. Literally the first word of, um, a police officer's uh, job description is protect to protect and serve. And how, how, as a black person, do you feel like you're protected by, um, police at times when, when, like you said, we can name off three or four individuals that are, they're getting gunned down for, for no apparent reason, you know, um, compared to how they're treated, um, as a white person. Cause I know, I guarantee you, you know, if I were to get pulled over and I try to run from the cops today, I don't, I'm not one, one of the last things I'm worried about is getting shot. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's obviously one of the, that's one of the first things that goes through, um, a, a, a minority or a black person's mind when they're getting pulled over just yeah. for a simple traffic violation. Am well, I gonna am I gonna make it out of this situation alive? And that's something that no person, whether you're black, white, Mexican, Asian, anything, should have to even think about when you're yeah. dealing with somebody that's supposed to be protecting you. Yeah, and it's sad that you know the sad truth is that you know black parents have to teach their kids like how to interact with a police officer when you're in the car, like instruct what you're doing with your hands, like ask permission to reach for the glove box box for your license and registration, all these things. And I don't want and, you know, it, we're, we're being pretty hard on police here. And for the vast majority of police officers, this isn't the case. They're not. Uh, most of them sure. are, 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 are doing are putting their lives online every day to protect and serve our communities. And we are totally appreciative of that. But when you have a Great. bad apple, it, it spoils the bunch. And it for the ones that don't need it, it's just a refresher. But the, like you guys said, there has to be reform there has to be something that changed. There has to be, like you guys both said, more accountability for their actions. Otherwise, again, 
they can just do this without without the fear of of punishment or out the fear repercussions of, yeah. of, any, of any repercussions so you know you, I know, think we could, you know what you know what go ahead i'm sorry well i'll, I'll let you you go ahead I was, I was just going to say, you know, I, I think what would go uh, a long way without having to do a complete overhaul and change is just, you know, you see something that I really enjoy is when you see the videos of officers, you know, pulling over the car, pulling over their car and going out and playing basketball with somebody. Um, you know, I would love to see, you know, going forward a, a, some kind of not necessarily mandated, but um, definitely an encouraged uh, form of community service through four officers, you know, whether that's them going to the park, um, you know, they don't even have their gun out or anything like that, but the leave the gun in the car and go out to the, go out to a park, go out to a basketball court, go out to somebody's front yard, help them with, um, you know, with y- yard services or, or some, some kind of community service to better develop that relationship between, uh, the community and officers. You know, yeah. I think we see those videos for me personally, I think that's amazing. I think that's what we need the spotlight to be on. You know, if, if I'm an officer right now and, um, you know, I work a 60 hour work week and, and my precinct is asking me, Hey, please spend 10 hours of your week. Um, whether you're on duty or off duty doing something in the community, whether that's help building a house or, or, or something, something where it's not even an escalated situation. Don't even, you know, yeah, keep a taser on you or, or a baton for some kind of, you know, craziness. But, um, you know, leave the handgun in, in the car. Leave all the all the guns away and just be, just have a presence. Um, you know, obviously, I would say for every community, but more importantly, in the minority minority groups in the comp- in uh, neighborhoods. You know, yeah. I think that will go a long way. You know, mm-hmm. something that is not, you know, asking too much. Yeah. Well, you see, I mean, you see the most successful municipal police forces in the country that talk about the most important thing in successful policing of a community is developing trust with the citizens of that community. And, you know, citizens aren't going to report crime if they don't trust the police. They're, you know, they're not going to um, act lawfully in 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 an escalated situation if they don't trust the police that's that that I think you nailed it on the head like developing that trust with your community is first and foremost and I would say of the interactions I've had with police officers in in, in Kansas City and St. Louis the two places that I've lived in in my adult life like I, they've been pretty positive like interactions like not to say like when I got in trouble they were necessarily positive but they for the most part like my experiences with police have been positive and that helps me feel more comfortable with with them protecting and serving our community. And I think exactly what you said, Smitty, like that demonstration for people who are feel more oppressed or feel more, um, you know, who don't feel like they live under the same veil of privilege that we do, I think it would go a long way. Um, I do want to pivot a little bit out of, I think we can talk in circles about, you know, racial and social justice and inequality. Um, Till we're blue in the face because it seems to be all that we can talk about these days. But uh, there is some, some some hope on the horizon that sports will be returning. Um, it sounds like the uh, Major League Baseball owners have backed off of their initial proposal um, that would get and have now offered to prorate players' salaries at a much more um, agreeable rate than they had originally offered. Um, I think their first offer to the players was pretty nothing less than insulting 
coming from a bunch of billionaires who are sitting on piles of cash. So that's great news. And then um, the NBA board of directors and owners are voting on a return to play policy on Thursday, which from all sources that I've read, that will probably be unanimously passed by the Players Association, which means we'll probably have a conclusion to this NBA season. So we're looking at 100, I think I saw 114 games of baseball and a conclusion to the NBA, which I think in the midst of everything that's going on would be a really nice unifying uh, moment for our country for have to have these sports back. Even if, even if there's not people in the stadiums, there's not butts in the seats. And I think everyone uniting to participate in something that we all share um, will be really important. Cause I, I didn't mention this in our initial discussion, but you know, Growing up where I did, part of my exposure to people who were different from me was that I played basketball and I played with other people from different cultures and backgrounds. I played in this nightly game called Night Hoops or a weekly game called Night Hoops where we played at like an inner city high school. And I played with a lot of people who didn't look like me, who came from different backgrounds. And so I think basketball and baseball are coming back. I'm not saying it's going to cure everything that's going on, but it'll at least shed, shed some light and some hope in, into what's going on, because it'll give us something to unite underneath once again. Because um, I think we've been sorely missing that. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to get your guys' initial thoughts. I know um, you guys aren't as into the NBA as I am, but I know we're all Royals fans and would be lo- would love to see some baseball action back. So I just want to kind of get your guys' initial thoughts. I know, sorry, you're spoiled because soccer's already making its plans. Kind of. Um, <laughs> kind of. MLS is... MLS has plans in the works too, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, yo, first off, good on yeah, the Royals. Uh, sorry to hijack real quick, but you know, a lot of sports like organizations and coaches and GMs all talk about, you know, we're gonna build a culture, we're gonna build this kind of culture, and we're gonna win. And uh, but the Royals actually, I feel like stood by that um, in in terms of paying all their minor league and not cutting um, players. I think that's really honorable and i think that speaks to their culture um <laughs> not, not to joke but like seriously it's like i think that's a really um a heartfelt gesture by them and a really solid business tactic as well um earning that trust from players people are going to want to play for you fans are going to want to show up to an organization especially in this climate that they feel like they can trust um you know yeah i think I think a perfect transition from from what is going on in the world to sports is, um, and I'm sure you guys saw, is um, Patrick Mahomes' tweet um, about adapting to uh, to the locker room environment. I think that is Mm -hmm. why sports are so critical right Mm -hmm. now and why why sports are more important right now than ever is because sports really do bring um, people from all different cultures um, and backgrounds together. And that's something that I think can help a little bit ease the tension that's going on in America right now. Unfortunately, throughout the world, we're, we're deprived of sports, something where it lets us forget um, whether we're white or black or, or, you know, Asian, any, any kind of type of, uh, you know, diversity. When, when I'm watching sports, I don't see, Oh, that's a black person or, Oh, that's a white guy. I just see a professional athlete, um, you know, and I think that, um, that's why I think good things are on the horizon is, yeah, I think sports are now closer to becoming a reality of, of being here and being back, um, whether there are fans or not. It's just something that I think we truly need um, right now with everything that's going on. And 
um, I think it's it's going to be a very positive thing for us to get sports back. And, um, you know, it's just <laughs> hopefully, you know, good times are, are coming, you know, because 2020, yeah. like I, I tweeted and it really has to be, you know, 2020 has to be by far the worst year. <laughs> of, already halfway you know, the whole time. Uh, yeah. yeah, Mike, man, I loved what Mahomes had to say. And of course, in Twitter fashion, people are like bash, like saying negative things. I'm like, dude, what is your problem, Twitter? But uh, a little anecdotal to that. Um, so like growing up and and playing soccer in the part of Kansas City we're from, soccer is like typically in America a white sport. Um, but where we're from, we had a ton of immigrants who played. And one thing I'll never forget is we had um, a few Serbians and a few Bosnians who played on our teams and. Traditionally, in the last 10 years, those are two nations whose people hate each other because of the genocide and um, civil war. It was, yeah, and, and it speaks to what sports can do for people because those kids became best friends and they became some of my good friends. And and it's it it sports have the ability to tr- transcend all of the other variables that are taking place in someone's life. It's a place where you can just become um, someone, you can create yourself as someone different and forget about everything else that is taking place in your life. All the stresses, all the, all the negativity. Um, I remember one day we were practicing and we're pretty close to the downtown airport where the air show was taking place. And they were practicing for the air show a few days before it started. It's like a Thursday. And these Planes flew over our field, and the kids who were from the Middle East, or not the Middle East, Eastern Europe, literally dove to the ground and, like, put their hands over their head because they were – they're used to if, – if you hear that as an experience where they're from, that means danger. So it's just yeah. like – and just – so, like, sports, you can learn those lessons uh, indirectly or directly um, just from being around those people. And you can learn about different cultures, and you can learn about – what other people's lives are like beyond the field. And I think it's that the power of sports is really capable of changing people and changing people's beliefs and changing cultures. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's so true. And I'm not going to say that like, had I not like played basketball and had the experiences that I did do that, I'd be some like ardent racist or anything like that. That's not the way like my family raised me. Um, but it definitely helped me, be more empathetic to people that are different. And like, I don't know if I've talked about this with you guys, but like my dad comes from um, like a large Hispanic family. Like my grandmother is, is Mexican. Like her, my, her, her parents came here from Mexico. Um, So like growing up with like that exposure to different cultures, I think like first, so for you to have had that experience playing soccer, Smitty, for you to have had your experience, like, with your dad teaching in KCK, like I think all of our experiences that we've had have helped like shape kind of our moral core, our moral foundation, our moral core when it comes to like racial and social equality and how like the color of our skin doesn't define who we are. In fact, it's like the least defining thing about us. Um, we share more in common than we do um, differences. And like, I think those experiences, like whether it's, you know, I think the closest thing you can get to a fit to having those experiences through your family and friends is playing on the same team as somebody else. Like 
mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a football team, a basketball team, a baseball team, a soccer team, like those guys that you go out like blood, sweat and tears for every day and you have their back no matter what. And I think that it fosters a very like familial, like brother, brotherly kind of bond, mm-hmm. or sisterly kind of bond. And that's, that's why, yeah, I think we need sports back more than ever because it'll reemphasize that for us as a community and, as a, and because the United States, we are a community of people. Like the world is a lot smaller place than it used to be. People's voices are being heard that, you know, we couldn't hear before. Um, and I think sports gives athletes and people who are prominent a great platform to advocate for that social change. And I, I hope they use that platform. And I know that there have been some people who have been derided for using that platform to push social you know, social issues to the forefront before, like, you know, Colin Kaepernick's a perfect example, but I think what hit, well, the message of what he was standing for does not ring any truer than it does right now. Um, and hopefully we get that sport, you know, sports back to help us unify as a culture and, and kind of set aside our differences for at least, you know, three hours on a Sunday. You know. Yeah, man, all those people who were assholes about Kaepernick or who were pissed about him kneeling really look like assholes now, right? <laughs> like, yeah, but they probably man. don't think that they look like assholes. I probably... know. No, no yeah, because they're, they're, they're never going to change, yeah. uh, unfortunately. Yeah, Tommy, one last thing to touch on that is uh, I'd like to like just imagine being you know first-generation immigrant or minority in our country and – you're struggling to find ways. I mean, you're struggling with, you know, how do you identify as, you know, an American, whether it's via your heritage from your home country or heritage in your current country. And I think sports are a great way to allow young adults and, and kids to um, find a sense of identity and who they are as an American, kind of like what I brought up in the very beginning of the podcast. I think it's amazing. I just love like the power of sports and, and what it can mean to people and individuals. And I think it's, I don't know. I just, I just really wanted to touch on that because I find well, yeah, it so and, and real, and to con- continue that just real quickly, another thing too about sports is uh, it's a perfect way for kids that are not, or people that are not from America to learn about American culture, but also us Americans to learn about mm-hmm. other people's cultures. Yeah. Kind of like what you're saying with, you know, the Bosnians and Serbians is, you know, you wouldn't have known that, you know, mm-hmm. to us, we, we see blue angels and we stop and stare, but to them, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're ducking and covering, you know, how, you know, it allowed at that moment, you now learned about what they had to go through, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our differences are what make us special, man. And, uh, yep. and, uh, gosh, man, there's not much more to say, but, uh, I'm sure we, we will have more to talk about next week, but, uh, it's great. Great seeing you guys. Sawyer, I'll see you in a few minutes. Smitty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. let, let, let's get together. We, we, we ought to do this uh, all in person at some point. Um, yes, yeah, please. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Let's do a cookout or something. Well, Mike, yeah, Tommy sure. and I live together, so that one's kind of on you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you, hey, yeah. you invite me over. I'm there. Dude, you right. got a standing invite. You can come over to the house anytime, anytime. Um, well, be careful, careful what you wish for. <laughs> Dude, we could use the company, man. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, to all those out there um, listening, uh, stay safe. Doesn't I mean, we've said it at the end of every podcast. Rings even more true today. Stay safe. Um, stay hopeful. 
you know, be a part of the solution, not the problem. Um, and try to, to love people a little bit more than you did today. Love them a little bit more tomorrow. Um, I love you guys, and I'll talk to you all next week. See you guys. Later.